This is Generation Education. Join educator Ruth Baynott Mondays at 11 a.m. as she explores modern parenting, physical, emotional and social development from pregnancy through adulthood. Mondays at 11 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. I'm Ruth Baynott on Generation Education and you're listening to 101.9 High FM. And today we are chatting about online schooling And with 2020 bringing COVID-19 and all the challenges that came with it, schooling was probably one of the biggest affected industries worldwide. Schools shut down for weeks, months, and some even longer. And kids were sitting at home and the education department and schools had to come up with solutions for kids to carry on learning so they did not fall behind. And prior to COVID-19, there were a couple of online schooling programs, but not many. And specifically locally here in South Africa, there were very, very few. And then along came COVID and suddenly online learning became a necessity. Schools scrambled to get set up and get going and parents and children had to adjust completely to a new way of education. And two years down the line, here we are with online schooling still going and being quite prevalent. I have with me this morning, Mr. Joseph Jurassi from Red Hill School. Mr. Jurassi has extensive experience in preparing young people for the world that they will one day lead. And he has spent his 30-year career constantly reimagining and re-examining education's best practice. He believes that innovative and forward-thinking concepts influence educators and students, but more importantly, provide the courage and skills to engage with an ever-changing environment. Good morning, Mr. Jurassi. Thank you so much for joining me. Prior to COVID, what was there available? What was it like? Right, so I think it's it's so interesting that we discuss this because I think COVID was an enabler um, to push teachers in particular into the world of technology. Teachers, by their very nature, are quite conservative um, in their approaches, and I'm generalizing, but the vast majority, in my experience, are, are not in favor of, of, of the new technologies. Teachers are, are in control of their classrooms, um, and you, you must remember, teaching is the, one of those professions that any teacher had, you know, has had 15 years experience in teaching because we were all at school for 15 years. Correct. So we saw how it was done. We followed what our teachers did. And then when we went into schools, although at university we might have had experience in terms of different pedagogies, we basically replicated what our teachers did. Correct. And that was always the almost, one could call it old school terminology or old school ter- mm. teaching. It's a very much a traditional way of teaching. Right. Then, um, so, so to a large extent, I would say a good five years leading up to COVID, um, schools were being pushed um, specifically in, in terms of more innovative schools to work with technology. But in the main, it was getting iPads into classrooms. Um, it was kind of maybe having textbooks on screen. Um, it was starting to, to play around with 
different formats on 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 in terms of technology on computers. But I, I wouldn't say there was any anything revolutionary going on. No. Um, it, no, it was a kind of added, a little bit extra that you could do. Um, but but definitely it wasn't where we are in terms of online learning as right. we know it maybe to. And then as you said, then COVID hit. Talk us through what happened then. So that threw us completely into an, an, an unknown world. Uh, what was remarkable, I have to say, is that teachers, um, you know, that in the world that I work in, specifically in the private education system, it was amazing to actually see how quickly they did adapt, right? And I think they had to adapt. So they were forced to adapt. There was no going back. There was no, what well, I don't want to do this. There was no, what well, I'm scared of this. Um, you had to learn and you had to learn really, really quickly. Um, I know Red Hill, what we did is we actually um, brought our holiday forward. As soon as we went into um, lockdown, we went straight into the three-week holiday so that we could spend those three weeks preparing our teachers, getting our teachers who teach technology to do as many courses with our teachers as possible. We spent every day, it really wasn't a holiday for teachers, mm. We were having workshops. We were, we were, you know, having conversations of how we were going to do things. We were putting protocols together. We were putting booklets together. If I remember those, those days, it, it was absolute chaos because we were having to prepare for a three-week period where coming back to school, if we were going to educate children, we had to be prepared. And it was actually amazing to see, you know, what teachers were getting up to. Now, there, there are different, different things happening. The schools that were better resourced, all that really happened is that students managed to continue with education. Unfortunately, at schools that did not have resources, we all know what took place there. Uh, and whatever our results might be showing uh, nationally, our kids are absolutely, you know, are two years behind. Absolutely. Um, so, and, yeah. yeah. And you see this right through from the littlies, the two-year-olds right through to matrix. So it, it's really was a huge effect. And the online schooling, when it obviously started and the ball got rolling, do you think that it did work in some ways? Or do you feel maybe they should have just said, ah, no, let's not do this and carry on from where we left off? So we're talking about post COVID, well, post COVID. Well, well, pretty much, yes. Yes, yeah, because yeah. I know we kind of had that situation where some schools started to go back, some schools weren't, some schools were doing one day at school, one day online. Was that working? And if so, do you think it was something that was a necessity? So in other words, was this online schooling something that worked going forward, obviously after that whole hard lockdown? Sure. Again, I have to speak in terms of we, we've got two different worlds. We're talking about the private education world and we're talking about, you know, uh, a lot of governments. Mm. I'll deal firstly with the private schools in terms of where we were at at that particular time. In the outside world, it was actually quite interesting that a whole lot of people try to take advantage of COVID. And every Tom, Dick and Harry was opening up a, a, an online school. And if you actually went onto those online schools, they really, I'm, I'm not quite sure how, why they were called online schools, because really it was just teachers teaching uh, online, but there was nothing really innovative about it. It was a screen with a teacher in front of the screen with a whole lot of kids' faces popping up, and the teacher was doing what they did in the classroom. So if we're talking about online learning in a traditional sense, it became very much a traditional online school. Um, and all that really needed to be understood there was how does the teacher work Zoom? And how does the teacher get online? There were a whole lot of problems with that. Kids very, very quickly learned how to, 
you know, kind of just put up a picture of themselves and then they weren't there for half of the lesson. Uh, you know, so it, they learned how to bunk online, right? It's, it's more difficult to <laughs> do that at school. Yes. Absolutely. So then there were a whole lot of frustrations because what we quickly found out is that you couldn't see the faces of the children. You couldn't see their expressions. You couldn't see whether they were getting it. You couldn't see if they were learning. And teachers started to complain about this. But look, the first two, three weeks was fine. Kids loved it. They could sit in, in their pajamas. They could have a cup of coffee next to them. It was very comfortable to do that. In the high school sex, right, we're, again, talking very different when we moved to junior school. Junior school, you know, there we were talking very much about parents and parents' frustrations, because younger kids need to be taken through things, you know, in a much more guided format. Correct. And that was very difficult for a teacher to be able to do when you've got a group of grade sevens who are all online and they're all trying to talk at the same time. They don't know where the mute button is. And you're trying to explain concepts to them. That was really difficult. But again, from a junior perspective, what we did learn, they were good and they were bad. The good things were just how adaptable children are. You give them a new situation and they quickly adapt to the new situation. And that taught us as teachers, don't underestimate the ability of children. Now, as teachers, we often underestimate the ability. We think there's no way they can do it without our aid, without our system. Now, we know from research that children can do a lot more um, you know, that, than, we give them, than we give them credit for. Mm. This, I think, when I see my teachers today, they have really got that. And they have allowed children to be part of the learning process a lot more than they did maybe two years ago, where I was the teacher, I had all the knowledge, and basically children should keep quiet and listen. Now we have a much more interactive situation happening. And I think that came about because of COVID and because of the online learning that was taking place. Yeah. In the high school, you know, kids adapted quickly, but we quickly found I would say after the first two months of online learning, that there were big issues that were coming up. In the private schools, education was continuing. And if you look at the results across the top private schools, the results went up. Wow. In other words, results were better at the end of the two years of COVID than they were before COVID. That's very right? interesting, That Very interesting. And, and there, there could be various reasons for that. But what we did see go wrong was the social and the emotional state of children. We had a complete crash. Absolutely, which makes so much sense. Yeah. And that was incredibly dangerous. Um, we had, a, I mean, our psychologists and our social workers uh, had to get very, very involved with the learning process and, and being there to assist and support Parents were needing us a lot more. Mm. Um, today, we know psychologists, educational psychologists are jam-packed. You can't yeah. get in. You can't get a session because of what COVID did to the kids. So as a school radio, we went back to school as soon as possible. And we went into the one day on, one day off. Right. Um, and we learned lessons from that as well. What we learned also from that is children don't actually need to be at school all day, every day. That also supports what was happening or is happening in Finland, uh, Norway, Denmark, yes. where children basically spend a lot less time at school. We have this idea, you know, uh, in South Africa that we need to have lots of hours of work and we need to cram lots of information into the heads of kids. 
In reality, we don't. We should Absolutely. be teaching skills. I know that in Norway, and that uh, I think they do what like three hours a day at school, and a lot of it isn't even, or most of it, as far as I understand, isn't even sitting at desks. It's going out into nature or doing some sort of practical. Um, they've got a very, very different approach to education. Very, very much so. And at Red Hill, we've kind of learned to adapt to a lot of those type of things. So we didn't have problems with exams and testing because in our in our junior and our middle school, we don't do we don't have tests. We don't we don't have homework. We don't have prize givings. We don't put that kind of pressure onto children. Um, we we really have followed the the you know the the Scandinavian countries. And their belief is if you take away the fear in education, children will naturally learn. They are, that's how they are wired. Children are inquisitive. They want to know. Uh, they want to know new things. They want to have new experiences. Unfortunately, as schools, we kind of box them. We make them write exams on particular things that puts fear into kids because what happens if I don't get the right result that the teacher wants? And so we don't have experiments. And that's also, I mean, that's a whole nother subject that one day we'll actually chat about in terms of how education actually hasn't really progressed in 30, 40 years. I mean, there has been a lot in one aspect, but not in the other. But moving on, let's just chat a little bit about those children that didn't have access to online schooling, the government schools and Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. not so privileged. I, I personally think that it's been a disaster for those schools. Um, also, those schools, I mean, I until recently, I was still hearing of schools coming back one day on, one day off. Uh, the private schools, we've been back to school full time for the last year. Now, what we see in many respects is that from a numeracy point of view and a literacy point of view, those kids are at least two years behind. There's, there's, there's no getting out of that. Because if you don't have the equipment, you were not really having any interaction with your teachers. You were kind of popping in, popping out, um, you know, not having access uh, to curriculum, to material. And I think as, you know, South Africa is going gonna, is gonna to pay the price for that. Um, not that it was totally in our hands. Do I think that enough was done to get kids back to school? No, I don't think enough was done. Um, it was almost, well, you know, in terms of why those type of things took place. But I do know that the schools that took proactive measures to get children back to school actually gained from that. And definitely our children from, uh, you know, I, I wrote an article to say, what's the good of keeping kids, you know, um, at, 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 let, let's talk about township schools, for instance. Mm. Those kids weren't sitting indoors protecting themselves. Their parents were at work. They were running around. The chances of them catching COVID were much greater running around in the it's suburbs or the townships than they would have been at school where there were strict mm. protocols in place. Yeah. So all we were doing was stunting the education. And we all knew at that time that younger kids, you know, were not getting COVID and dying of it. Yeah. Um, and that they would have been much safer being in school where there were protocols in place. So yeah, and, there were a whole lot of things that, yeah. that didn't work. And I think it highlighted very much so the huge gap between the haves and the haves not. I wanted to chat a little bit about currently with online schooling. We've seen now that the system has actually been working. And as you mentioned a little bit earlier, that there were a lot of new online schools that just popped up, some of them, a lot of them not legit, 
But there are quite a few that now are actually legitimate ones. If I'm not mistaken, I even think that Red Hill has started one, if I'm not mistaken. Is that working? Has there been actually a big demand for it? Is it something that's a growing community? So Red Hill took a different line. So we don't have online learning. What we do have is we have put together professional uh, videos um, that, that continue to document the curriculum, that prepare kids for exams. So really it is an addition to what you're doing at school. That allows you to be able to rewind the teacher, play the teacher again, go through concepts that you don't understand. So there's an idea, and I'll talk about this now in terms of what I call what we call blended learning, right? Mm. So in terms of online learning, I do not believe that if you have a choice, you should be online. I think that from an emotional and social point of view, and really the better your emotional and social health is, the better you're going to study. Absolutely. Now, if you are at if you're at home by yourself, isolated, your emotional and your social um, health is not going to be good, and therefore your education is not going to be good. Yes, I know that for a lot of people, it was a good way to try and make a quick buck, and I'll be accused for saying that, but I don't think for the vast majority of children, online learning works. I do think for children who don't have access to good education, that it definitely can supplement their education. That's basically saying, well, I'm taking, you know, the better of the two evils, right? Mm. Um, I'm, I'm not getting any education where I'm at, and therefore I need to be on online learning. Um, I, I mean, if I had any advice for government, I'd be saying that the way we're doing things at Red Hill is we are supplying through Red Hill and through our partner subjects professionally made videos that can be available as a sub, as, as, as an addition to the teaching that is taking place. Right. So that if children, for instance, maybe they don't have a good science teacher, they are still seeing that science teacher. They might not be understanding everything, but you can be you can get these videos that supplement the education. And really, we were, we were as Red Hill basically giving them away. I think it was kind of you know 150 rand for for the whole set of of, of maths videos. Right. Because we do believe that as a private school, we have an obligation not only to be giving education to the wealthy, but to assist in whatever way is possible. What I do want to stress is that that allowed us to understand what this term blended learning is. And I think, and I said it to my staff the other day, however uh, you know, resistant you are to understanding what blended learning is, if we do not go in that direction, we're going to be left behind. The world has taught us that we know people are not working from offices all day. That's a kind of blended workspace. You are going in some days because even in that field, we have learned that you cannot exclude yourself from personal interaction. Absolutely. You've got to have meetings. You've got to see people, mm -hmm. but you don't have to be there from eight to five every single day. So we're saying education is going to have to move to a place whereby uh, specifically with senior students, you are at school certain hours, you're at home certain hours, you have got a lot of additional um, uh, video material, um, you're learning flipped learning models whereby you're learning certain concepts at home, you've got one or two days at home where you yourself can go through the concepts, the classroom becomes where the teacher actually then takes those concepts and puts it into a real working condition that the teacher is there to do the homework with you and that you're not doing that at home. Um, so there's some very exciting ways of looking yeah. at this blended. Yeah, and I think COVID almost pushed us into that. It was a necessity. I know that now, of course, that situation is all changed. 
whereby if you're not well, you can still actually attend a class. And it has, it's created a space and a new, whole new dynamic, which even though there's the cons, I would say that is definitely one of the pros. I I'll just put a warning out there, just that, be, be, you know, heads who might be listening to this conversation, if I, if I can just put a word of caution out there, if we, if, if as heads, we don't continue to push this blended learning, we will quickly go back to the traditional mold of learning. Because oh, again, I love my staff. And I think they're all incredibly hardworking. But it is much easier to have children in a classroom where you are in control over the learning. The idea of blended learning is an idea where it's much more difficult to control the learning. But I personally think that it allows for better learning and it allows for children to take more ownership of their learning. And if we are doing what we should be doing, and that is preparing our children for the real world, you can't prepare them by keeping them in a class all day and then they go into the work, uh, the world of work, where they will be allowed to be at home. It allows them to, it empowers children to, 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 to take stock over their own learning and to be able to, you know, um, contribute to their own learning. So we've got to be careful. Any society that is allowed to go back to normal will naturally go back to normal unless they have innovative heads and you've got people within the school that will see where we should be going and continue that process. Mm, and it's sad, once again, the haves and haves not, that government should be actually looking, taking this opportunity now to say, okay, going forward, let's put structures in place. But need I say more? Well, I, my, my advice to government when I've had the opportunity is you know, you, there's this odd thing about us and them. You know what? Let's, let's not talk about us. And I've been pushing this for a long time. You know, I've been pushing for a real bosporat of government and private education to come together. You know, we talk about government always saying you've got to engage with private sector, but that's mainly in business. Why aren't we engaging with the private sector when it comes to education? Because whether we like it or not, it has years of experience and it has the resource. Use those resources. Let us as government, as, as private schools, put out information, put out content, do the videos that we need. Let government actually allow their schools to have open access to this for free um, and just be involved in possibly the payment of the making of the videos and the curriculum developers. I think a partnership between government and private education could result in such amazing progress in education in South Africa if only we can get over this issue of private versus government. Absolutely. Please, God, one day that will happen. Mr. Jurassi, thank you so much for chatting with me this morning. It's been so insightful and really great to get all that interesting information. It's been my absolute pleasure. And anytime, I, I always love talking to you guys at Chai. Oh, thank you so much.